But then a sparkling magical light surrounded the beast. His paws became hands and feet, and the rest of his body was restored to its former handsomeness. Bell looked on in amazement as the beast turned into a prince. The prince and Bell looked into each other's eyes. As they kissed, they knew that they would live happily ever after. Happily ever after. That's where the problems start. Because love seems to lead to more hello from the other side than to happily ever after. The music industry is littered with songs of failed love. Taylor Swift has made a career of singing about her exes. Her style of music seeming to reflect her increased cynicism, her lack of happily ever afters. It's often the case that love's first passion cools. Apparently, I ran down almost a mile of corridor, shouting at the top of my voice to tell a friend at university I'd started going out with a girl called Boo. I shout about different things now. (laughs) And I pray that I would treasure my wife more. Happily ever after seems often to be a faded dream in our love for Jesus. Can you remember the joy, the wonder when you first knew he loved you? When you first knew he died for you? When you first knew your sins forgiven? And the night after I became a Christian, I was so excited about Jesus, I took my best mate to hear the preacher who had changed my life. I couldn't understand why Tony didn't become a Christian. Jesus was so wonderful. Jesus was so compelling. And now I ask people to pray that I would know Christ's love more, that I'd love the church more, you lot more, that I'd be compelled by Christ's love again to tell anyone, to tell everyone how precious Jesus is to me. And if you're not a Christian yet here this morning, what we're praying for you, what we're hoping for you is that in our speaking and in our singing and in our praying, and most importantly in our looking at the Bible, God's Word, you will come to see how precious Jesus is, how he loves you. But how do you deal with love growing cold, with love in marriage, with love between us and Christ? Because the Bible is a brutally realistic book. It's why some people don't like it. It speaks into our lives in a way that's uncomfortable. Because the truth may be good for us, but it hurts. So Song and Songs deals with love growing cold. Solomon, the the king of Israel around 980 BC, in this song wants God's people to know happily ever afters don't come easy, either in marriage or in your relationship with the Lord. Because this is a song that speaks of both at the same time. We've seen that. Because throughout the Bible, the purpose of love in marriage is to point us to the greater love between the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, his people, the church. Which is why, again, if you're here this morning and you're not married or you are never married, the love that we're talking about is first and foremost for you as well. Because it's about Jesus' love for you. Now we're into the second half of the song. There are actually 111 lines in this song up to chapter 5, verse 1, and 111 lines from chapter 5, verse 1 to the end. There is a beautiful symmetry here. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, the girl dreams of searching for her lover before her wedding. 
Now the honeymoon is over. And she dreams again of searching for her lover because she's grown cold to him and sent him away. So let's talk this morning of love rekindled. And because God has chosen to speak to us through a poem, I'll try not to turn the lyrics of love into a lecture, but rather let them speak for themselves. Here is Love Grows Cold. Look at chapter 5 and verse 2 with me. I slept, but my heart was awake. In that state where reality and dream blur, when you play through the scenarios in your head, your fears, your anxiety, lying on your bed imagining the worst. Open to me, my sister, my darling. Open the door. Open your heart. Open your body. My head. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. He woos her with words, not demanding marriage rights, not telling of her duty, but four times tenderly praising her beauty. My sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night, like Ross Poldark standing on the beach, (laughs) glistening, covered in water. Verse 3, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? I'm lying here in my nightie, and it's cold outside the sheets. The floor is kind of dusty, and I've just pedicured my feet. I'm feeling kind of dopey, and it's really rather late. Could you try the sofa, or go round to our mates? It's not that I don't love you, but I need my beauty sleep, and it seems a lot of bother to let passion run that deep. So if you wouldn't mind, we'll leave it for tonight. Just be sure to put the dog out and turn down, off the downstairs light. Or as one commentator put it, the opposite of love isn't necessarily hatred, but bored indifference. This is the story of so many marriages. I might even risk saying this is the story at one time or another of most marriages. Sex becomes the icing on the cake. And we all know that too much cake is bad for you. You see, we shouldn't be surprised that passion grows cold in marriage. We're sinners living in a cursed world. We should expect the most intimate act given to us by God to bind couples together to be as dysfunctional as everything else. We shouldn't be surprised, but we shouldn't be content with that. And in her dream, when her husband, her lover, persists, she responds. Verse 4, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. My insides were in turmoil, my hands covered in precious oils. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. My soul went out. There are three different words translated heart in our verses here. The heart of verse 2 is where you think, your decision-making center. The heart of verse 4 is where you feel your gut response. And the heart here of verse 6 is your soul, who you really are. In verse 2, she decided to play it cool. In verse 4, she felt her passions aroused. In verse 6, she nearly died because he'd gone. The dream had turned into a nightmare. The casual rejection into a desperate search. 
And in the anxiety of her imagination, she runs out in verse 7. She runs through the streets, half-clothed like a prostitute. She's beaten by the city watchman, bruised and disgraced like a whore, disciplined for her brazen lack of love. Verse 8, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Oh, before she'd charged them not to awake or arouse love. Now she charges, please help me find my lover. I came across this article in the uh, Times magazine uh, a few weeks ago. The headline was this. What I learned sleeping with other women's husbands. Uh, You might ask why I read it. It was because of the summary. It said this. What she found was married men craving any kind of intimacy. They weren't looking to have more sex in their lives. They wanted any sex. Married men on Tinder whose marriages had become sexless, ashamed of what they were doing, but doing it nonetheless. And all the Christian men who have ever told me that they are content with a lack of intimacy in their marriages have within a year been committed in adultery. All the Christian men who've told me in counseling, oh, I'm fine with a lack of intimacy in my marriage, marriage, have within a year been committing adultery. And just this week I was approached by a young man with a concerned look. I've been talking about how many of us struggle to make love in marriage with intimate tenderness and mutual passion and sufficient regularity. And I assured him he's not alone. We're not alone. You're not alone if sex has not lived up to expectation. And so if this is your marriage, please seek help before you look for your loved one only to find that they're not there. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5 in the New Testament says this, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's very realistic, the Bible, isn't it? It's not an excuse regularly heard. Not tonight, darling. I'm praying for China by name again. See, Satan uses lack of sex to wreck marriages. So get help if your marriage is one where lack of intimacy causes argument but actually as I said even more serious than the love between a husband and wife growing cold is us growing cold to the passionate love of Jesus because it is a passionate love it's a love that comes to us by his spirit a love that daily knocks on the door of our hearts a love that asks to come in and fill us with an inexpressible joy and the sadness is so many people can't be bothered to get up for Jesus. It was sunny last week, and sadly as a pastor, I could have told you who was unlikely to be here before we started the service. It's Father's Day today, and between me and five rows back are quite a few empty seats, because husbands and wives have chosen not to open the door to Jesus this morning. In Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea has grown lukewarm in love for Jesus, so he calls out to it. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Did you hear what Jesus says to you? Maybe he's brought you here this morning. Maybe you're not that regular. Maybe the idea of going to a midweek group is alien to you. And Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I mean, how much of our waking waking week is spent in conscious, active fellowship, relationship with Jesus? If it's just this service, it's just over 1% of your waking week. If you make this service twice a month, it's just over half a percent of your waking week. If you get to a life group, it's just about 2.5% of the time you're awake in a week. And we wonder why we don't feel Jesus' love much. Perhaps like the girl in Song of Songs, you've got some less than helpful friends. Because she's got some discouraging friends. Look what they say in verse 9. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? Why is he worth it? You're so gorgeous. What's so special about him? They, They could be mocking her. They're certainly not encouraging her. You don't need him. There are other fish in the sea. Perhaps you get together with girlfriends and gently they affirm that men are the problem. Perhaps you get together with your mates and you banter about how much fitter young girls are, and then wonder why you don't get aroused by your wife. Perhaps you've got a group of Christian friends and you all book a barbecue. That means you can't make church on Sunday. Or you all decide to go to the beach for the day so you can't make church on Sunday. And you don't hear of the love of Jesus, and you don't sing of the love of Jesus, and you wonder why you don't feel the love of Jesus. And there's a real danger that one day, we will experience what Jesus threatened the church at Laodicea. This is what he says. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one, either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Literally, I'm about to vomit you up. Jesus says to us when we two-time him, you make me puke. We need friends who encourage us to remember our lover. Because that's what's vital in marriage and in the Christian life. Remember your lover. Listen to why he's worth it. Because what she does in verses 10 following is a description. It's not so you could pick him out in a crowd. It's a poem about how she feels about him. From head to toe, she remembers him. Verse 10, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Like King David, Israel's greatest king. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. Nothing is more precious than his thoughts. Nothing is richer than his hair. She goes on, his eyes are like doves, like hers, but different. Sparkling pupils set in milky white irises. She draws close to his cheeks. He smells so good. Tasting his lips is overpoweringly sensual. He has arms, hands that are strong, decorated with gold rings. His body is smooth, hairless, apparently all the rage on Love Island, with the latest bling attached. He is both strong and exotic, tall and handsome, like the cedars of Lebanon. Look down at verse 16. His mouth is sweetness itself. 
He is altogether lovely. When he speaks, his words are honey to my soul. Verse 16 again. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Well, when was the last thing you listed to yourself all the things you like about your lover? Uh, the body might be a little less toned, though um, a paper told me yesterday with an unspeakably fit-looking 50-year-old woman that apparently I can have the ageless body if only I could fit into her lycra. But, but beauty isn't always about the body, is it? It's more about the shared times. I love the way you, I love the way you smile at me and laugh at my bad jokes. I love the way you cook your eggs and only eat the yolks. I love the way you are yourself and rarely seem to worry. I love the way you've come to like a decent chicken curry. I love the way that you enjoy the simple things in life. I love the way you're not ashamed to be known as my own wife. I love the way that doing a crossword is our family fun. I love the way that when I'm cruel, you've never upped and gone. But most of all, I love you. Because the God who made the universe and named each single star, he planned you for my lover and made you just the way you are. This is my beloved. This is my friend. The one who has my heart. The one with whom I wish my days to end. And the same is true of Jesus. The key to feeling loved by him is to remember him, to rehearse who he is, to run through what he has done for you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. King of kings, majesty, God of heaven, dwelling, living in me, gentle saviour, closest friend, strong deliverer, beginning and end. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love. What depths of peace. When fears are stilled. When striving cease. My comforter. My all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Precious truths. That we sing together. That we remind ourselves of together. Because there are encouraging friends. Did you see her encouraging friends in one? Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn? That we may look for him with you. I don't know if they're the same friends. They've certainly changed their tune. Changed it because she has spoken, sung of her lover. Now they want to help her find him. Now they want to help her love him. You need friends who will encourage you in your marriage, who will talk your wife up, not drag her down, who will speak well of your husband, not malign him with you, who, when things are on the rocks, will help you to the safety of the harbour rather than encourage you to cast out for new adventures in the wide ocean. 
And you need friends who will encourage you in Christ. Who when you're feeling low, point you to him. Who when you're being lazy, point you to him. Who when you are suffering, point you to him. Who when you are slacking, point you to him. Friends who love you enough to risk your friendship because they value your friendship with Christ more. Friends who will rebuke you. Friends who will say the hard things. Friends who will draw alongside you. Friends who will share your burdens. The dangerous friend is the one who always agrees with you. She doesn't love you. She just wants to be loved by you. Who says, there, there, life is hard. Have another gin and tonic and forget the prayer meeting. Find friends that help you seek Jesus. Cherish friends that help you seek Jesus. Be friends that help others to seek Jesus. Then like this girl, lastly, you will remember your love. Look at verse 2. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens, to gather lilies. She is his garden in Song of Songs. It is the fragrance of her perfume. It is the lilies of her lips. She remembers him enjoying. This is the joy of past intimacy, the assurance of past experience. She knows where he's been in the past. She knows that I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. That's what she says in verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. Again, there's beautiful symmetry in the song. She said this in chapter 2.16 before they'd come together in marriage. She said, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. That was her desire, her pledged troth, her commitment of herself to him. And now she's remembering it. It's a great thing to talk of times past, of love shared, of laughs had of intimacy, of commitment, to re-watch the wedding video, to talk of the first kiss, to remember the honeymoon. Here, she speaks of her confidence in their union, her certainty of their love. But I wonder if you see the difference between chapter 2, verse 16, and our verses. You see, before in her young passion, she claimed, my beloved is mine and I am his. But now she says in chapter 6, verse 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She offers herself first. You see, maturing relationships always come to be more about what you give than what you take. Because in the end, the God who is the source of all love is the God who is Father who gives in love to his Son, and Son who gives in love to his Father, and Spirit who gives in love to them both. And so therefore, our love, it's when our love is most self-giving that we taste divine love most fully. That's why the commands about husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5 are all about giving. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Give him the leadership in your marriage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Give her yourself totally, sacrificially, 
painfully. But of course, all this is just a shadow of the love we share with Jesus. He's the one who demonstrated his love, not with words, nor with presence, not with what a friend of mine calls chore play, but with blood and with the gift of himself in our place, on the cross, bearing our sin, taking our punishment. You see, my beloved, your beloved, he has gone to a garden, the Garden of Tears. And in the Garden of Tears, as he struggled with the agony of what the day ahead held for him, he pledged his love to us as he prayed through sweat that looked like blood. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And then in love went to his arrest and to walk a hill to a death that should be ours. And as we experience that love more fully, we will stop saying to Jesus, he is mine and I am his. And we will start saying to him, I am his and he is mine. We will see that experiencing his love is about giving ourselves to, in love to him completely, sacrificially. It's not about him being there for my life, but about him being my life. It's not about him dancing to my tune, but me dancing in the midst of his song to his tune. And then we'll not resent that 1% of focused time with him each week if we can make it. But we'll crave the day when 100% of our time will be spent before his face, in his worship, knowing his love perfectly, intimately, forever. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I am Christ's, and Christ is mine forevermore. Let's pray together. My Jesus, my Saviour, Lord, there is none like you. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his one and only Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God's demonstrated his love for us in this, that whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Here, I am I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, please help us to open the door of our hearts to you today and every day that we might enjoy sweet communion, beautiful relationship with you, that we might treasure you and know that we are treasured by you, that we might rejoice in speaking with you uh, 
in sharing our lives and our concerns with you and knowing that you have gone before us and you know exactly what we need and that you love us more than we even love ourselves. Oh Lord Jesus, give us a heart that longs to rejoice in dwelling with you and in you today and every day for your precious name's sake. Amen. Well, after the service, I will be in the uh, Art and Lounge, which is just past the desk on the right. If anyone would like to come and chat, either about their love in marriage or, more importantly, about their love for the Lord Jesus.